The metaverse is emerging as the next big technology platform, attracting online game makers, social networks, and plenty of investment. And sure, there's lots of hype surrounding the metaverse, but there's also lots of substance, development, and exciting trends. On this podcast series, Into the Metaverse, brought to you by Bloomberg Intelligence, we will break down the biggest developments and bring on the most interesting minds who are building, investing in, and experiencing the metaverse. Welcome once again to another exciting episode of Into the Metaverse, brought to you by Bloomberg Intelligence. I'm Matthew Canterman, a senior equity research analyst with Bloomberg Intelligence, and my co-host, Yonatan Raz Friedman, the CEO and co-founder of SuperSocial, are your hosts. We're super excited to have a really great guest join us today to break down the really exciting landscape of Metaverse ETFs, Bloomberg Intelligence's Asia ETF analyst, Rebecca Sin. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you for having me. Very excited to be on. And so if you couldn't tell, Rebecca is my colleague here in Hong Kong, and we're really excited to get on together because, you know, we've had lots of excellent conversations together. She's done a lot of work on Metaverse ETFs for Bloomberg professional subscribers. That research is available on the BIETF dashboard, BIETFs Go. A couple episodes ago, we had a really great conversation with Mario from Roundhill Investments. So they have the Roundhill Ball Metaverse ETF. Its ticker is METV previously was meta and there's a lot of backstory to why they changed it that we probably won't get into today but you know since then the landscape has truly exploded for metaverse ETFs and it's becoming quite exciting but before we dive into metaverse ETFs Rebecca we do have to ask our favorite question that we pose to every guest and I granted your view might just be a little bit skewed because you sit next to me at work but in your view you know what is the metaverse and I think we like to say it's more important to say what is not the metaverse I'll have to be honest, before joining Bloomberg, I had never really heard of the word metaverse until I met Matt. And if memory serves me correctly, this was one of the first thing that they mentioned to me, even in the interview process. They were like, you know, there's someone by the name of Matthew Canterman. He's really well known and he's done a lot of research in the metaverse. And so, yes, my opinion is probably skewed because I sit right next to you, but I also learn a lot from you. So I can't complain. So for me, the metaverse is really a shared virtual space, whether that be live entertainment, playing video games together, or socializing online. All of these things and trends that are emerging to create something new. And so that's what I consider as the metaverse. I think that's a really concise, great view of it. And I think what's important that you mentioned is it's about bringing people together. I think that's, you know, you've talked a lot about that's the reason you started Super Social when you did. It's because you know, you realized at the onset of the pandemic that the metaverse is just the next form of human interaction. A hundred percent. And I mean, you know, that's kind of embedded also in the name of the company, Super Social, because the hypothesis is that the metaverse is going to be more social, more immersive, more expressive. And as human beings, I mean, really, we are social creatures who want to interact. We want to do things together. We want to create together. We want to play together. And to me, that's what's sort of really, really exciting about the metaverse as a place for human experience, human interaction, playing, working, doing things together. Uh, it doesn't mean always that it's going to be with a certain kind of form factor on our head, as we like to talk a lot about. The metaverse is not a VR headset, and you're not going to access the metaverse exclusively from a VR headset. You will likely access it from a multitude of form factors and devices and platforms. And so, Rebecca, I think what you're describing is well aligned with what we have been sort of preaching and, and also talking to some phenomenal people in past episode. And so, 
Rebecca, as you as you've looked at at the market earlier this year, actually late last year, Facebook changed their name to Meta, and then earlier this year, just quite recently, they finally got the ticker Meta. Uh, so now the the story is well rounded, and you have been forecasting that Metaverse EDFs would hit two billion of assets under management by the end of 2021. Many people thought that was aggressive, and then almost overnight. You know, we we think it kind of went from about a hundred million and breached the two billion mark that you've outlined. And so, not only you're a trailblazer, but also how big do you think the metaverse ETFs can get? Let's say over the next five years, three to five years, and what's sort of the the rationale behind those assumptions? So, to provide some context for the audience, when I first joined Bloomberg Intelligence in, in August, my first Metaverse ETF piece came out in early October, well before Facebook said they were going to rebrand. And I said that by 2024, Metaverse ETFs could reach 80 billion in assets. And I remember getting laughed at by my colleagues saying that I was way off and off by at least a factor of 10 and that this was impossible. By the end of 2021, assets had surpassed 2 billion. And there was already a very long list of ETF issuers in the pipeline that had filed for a metaverse ETF to be launched in 2022. I would definitely say that Facebook has helped bring the metaverse to the broader market. And many ETF issuers, including Fidelity, ProShares, GlobalX, and First Trust, and many more in Asia will be launching ETFs related to the metaverse now. But with the names of like Fidelity and First Trust on board, this means that the product will be distributed amongst retail investors very quickly. And so if we include the various sectors in the metaverse from entertainment to video games, e-commerce, it would be very easy to reach 80 billion by 2024. So for instance, the entertainment ETF is already 5 billion. And so it really depends on what you constitute as the metaverse and what you include into the space because it's constantly evolving and there's so many different parts, whether it's video games, entertainment, social media, if you loop and group all of those ETFs together, you can really easily reach 80 billion by 2024. So there's definitely huge growth potential. And I think this year, we're going to see some very interesting things happen in this space. Absolutely. You know, we've already seen so much excitement. And I, and I think one of the things that's been truly interesting about the, the emerging metaverse ETF landscape is how global it's been in nature. You know, we've talked a lot about Korea. We've seen ETFs launch in Taiwan focused on the metaverse. You know, maybe if we could just step back for a second and maybe you could give us a lay of the land, you know, just even in the last six months or so, it's really blossomed. Who is the biggest by assets? Who's kind of the whale in this space? You know, everyone likes to look at like the biggest ETFs always tend to like shine above whether that's passive or active. And then in terms of regions and just kind of breakdown, where are you seeing the most action? What's most what's most exciting? So the metaverse has definitely exploded in the past six months. So let's set some parameters. If we look at all ETF that has the word metaverse in their description, then the first ETF would be the Roundhill Ball, which was launched on June 30th of 2021. Since then, there's been 14 ETF launches around the world with the word metaverse in the description. I specify this because there's a lot of ETF issuers that consider their ETF to be the metaverse, whether it be a video game, tech, or artificial intelligence. So we really need to set the parameters for what we consider, as there's more than 10,000 ETFs globally with $10.1 trillion in assets under management. So if we start including video games, tech, cybersecurities, 
then the universe gets much larger. So we're going to stick to the definition of you need to have the word metaverse in their definition or in their description. And so the largest ETF would be Roundhill, who has 863 million in assets under management, followed by Korea, Samsung Codex actively managed at 337, and then Mirai Asset Tiger at 324. And so to provide some context, both Samsung's ETF was only launched in October last year. And so they were really one of the leaders in the space in Asia. And so both Mirai and Samsung got 100 million, which is often considered the break-even point for ETFs in just under two weeks, making this one of the fastest growing ETFs globally. And so another interesting fact about Korea is that they now have eight metaverse ETFs with assets of 1.2 billion under management. And so of the eight ETFs, four of them were only launched on December 20th. And so they grew their assets very quickly. And most of this came from retail investors. So I'd say in the region, Korea is definitely leading. They have one of the most ETFs and they grow the quickest. So they already have 1.2 billion in just a few weeks. Um, but the largest is definitely Roundhill as they were the first to launch. So just, just again, to clarify, thank you for this breakdown, Rebecca. Super interesting. So there are 14 ETFs with the distinct characteristic that includes a metaverse in their descriptors. Out of the 14, eight are from Korea. Is that what you said? Yeah. So of the 14, wow. eight are from Korea. So this really shows that Korea is really investing into the metaverse space. That's fascinating. I just want to plug into one thing you said that I thought was really interesting. You talked about retail excitement around metaverse ETFs. And for people that aren't into the technicals of ETFs, there's institutional distribution, which is, you know, selling to affluent clients through private wealth or it's hedge funds, you know, those types of large investors, uh, pension funds, right, buying ETFs. And there's retail, which is just Yon managing his money on the side, you know, in a, in a Robinhood account or whoever might be doing that, right? And so I, th I think your colleague, Eric Balchunas in the States, and, you know, we talked about this on the Trillions podcast, shout out to Trillions, it's on Spotify, Apple, and the Bloomberg Terminal. But we talked about how like video game ETFs, metaverse ETFs, have always skewed heavily to retail distribution. You know, what, what's your thoughts on kind of, can, can Metaverse start to penetrate the institutional space where video games kind of failed to? I definitely think there's space for institutional clients to get invested in, it, in this, especially now that the Metaverse is such a big trend. For most institutional clients, they have a global portfolio. So from an asset allocation perspective, Sector-specific focused themes like metaverse will never be a large holding. It will never be a core percentage, but it could be anything from 1% to 5% of their portfolio. And so with institutional money, you know, th this then brings in those large trades, you know, the trades that are more than 1 million. It usually can be you know, 1 million to 5, 10, even 50 million, depending on the type of institutional clients. And so I think with the likes of Fidelity coming on board, in some of the larger players, you're definitely going to start seeing the institutional money pour in. The question is only a matter of fact of timing. You know, will it happen this year or will it happen next year? I think everyone is looking at the tech space. And Kathy Wood mentioned this in, in her webinar that we had with her last year was that, you know, technology is here to stay. The question is, how do we adopt it into our portfolio? And what access do we want? Do we want it as artificial intelligence? Do we want it as metaverse? And so everyone is investing into the technology sector. The only question is how. And so I think the metaverse definitely has space in for the institutional clients. It's just a matter of fact of how much do they allocate? Is it 1%, 3%, or 5%? To what extent do you think that 
one of the biggest players, if it's, you know, Vanguard or Fidelity or BlackRock coming with their own. Do, do you envision one of those big players coming with an ETF anytime soon? And if they do, how much do you think it will accelerate the wider adoption of investors of ETFs related to the metaverse? So Fidelity filed for their ETF last month in January, and they're expected to launch in April. And so I think that it shows that there's a clear demand for it. You know, will the likes of BlackRock and Vanguard follow? I can definitely see BlackRock following because BlackRock themselves do have a lot of sector thematic ETFs. So for instance, they launched a robotic ETFs several years ago, and it very quickly gained 1 billion in assets in only a few months because their distribution channel is so great. And so I think that everyone is looking at this space. And once they file and launch the product, it's only a matter of time before they get people on board. So an interesting fact is when First Trust filed for their metaverse ETF, First Trust is based in Illinois. And so they're purely a retail investor and all of their distribution is done through various asset managers and retail players in the U.S. We were discussing as a team when they filed that, you know, there must be clear demand for someone like First Trust to be doing this because otherwise it doesn't really make sense. And so I think everyone realized that the metaverse is here to stay and they want to be invested into it. And so that's why, despite the performance of metaverse ETF, I think year-to-date performance is down 17%. We've still seen positive inflows into this sector, even though the performance keeps going down. Yeah, that's something that I wanted to drill into. And, you know, I remember last year we were talking about this with China Internet ETFs. We, you know, we saw this with KWeb, right? The China Internet stocks got whacked, but inflows were really strong. We've seen it this year with metaverse ETFs, even though some of these have been like dropping 30, 40% from their highs. You know, the AUM has stayed roughly flat, meaning that there's been strong inflows. Given that, in, you know, some of this is just the backdrop of turbulence with, the broader market and high growth stocks, which make up a lot of the constituents in these funds. But, you know, some of it has been company specific performance. We, you know, we're recording this the day after Roblox reported earnings. And that was a, you know, a pretty spectacular drop in the stock price. And that will be reflected in the ETFs. But do you think that this divergence between performance and flows can continue? Or do you think that this is something that if performance doesn't pick up in the next quarter or two, that we are going to start to see some people kind of get fed up with the theme and move on to the next thing. So let's use the example that you mentioned of KWeb. So for the, those that don't know, KWeb is the Crane Share CSI China Internet ETF. And the performance of KWeb in 2021 was down 56%. But the fund grew 80% in net new assets. So at the beginning of the year, they had 3.5 billion. And by the end of the year, they had 6.3 billion, despite the performance being down 56%. So as the performance went down, inflows went up, which is a very strange divergence. However, I think what this shows is that investors are really interested in this sector for the long haul and not really worried from the day-to-day performance of the fund. I believe this is happening with the metaverse and that this parallels what we've seen in China tech. And so if we look at year to date, metaverse ETF performance is down 17%, but inflows are at 263 million. So looking at Roundhill Ball ETF from the time that Facebook announced rebrand to metaverse, their ETF 
inflow skyrocketed, skyrocketed from around 100 million to 950 million in just three months. And their assets grew so quickly that they even reduced their fees from 75 basis points to 59 basis points. So this really shows that investors are in this for the long haul, regardless of the performance. And I think we're seeing the same thing in the metaverse. So a lot of investors simply just want to invest into the space, regardless of performance, because they think the metaverse is going to do well in the next five to 10 years. And so ultimately, ETF is an easy way for them to get access to the metaverse space without having to stock pick which names they want. That's a great point. And I think for a lot, particularly retail investors, right? And we talked about this with Eric on Trillions again, you know, you can have your core portfolio of passive, right? You can have your SPY or your, your, your VOO or whatever passive core portfolio you want, AGG in there. And then you can supplement it with these active exposures, right? Metaverse, ARC. And, you know, I think... When you're thinking about those sorts of things, it makes tons of sense for those to be longer term views. I mean, no one that's come on this podcast and neither Yon or myself believe that this is going to be, you know, we're going to be experiencing the metaverse in its truest form next year. You know, this is a decade or more out. And so you want to be riding the wave and riding the investment along the way. And so I totally think what you just said aligns with our fundamental view of the market. And Rebecca, as you as you look at sort of the landscape, it's clear that metaverse ETFs are taking different flavors. And so when you look at the constituents of these funds, are you seeing any similarities or differences between them? I think it's really interesting going to be, I believe, to our audience to really understand that when you talk about 14 ETFs already and more coming, these are not apple to apple. There's a lot of differences among these ETFs. So it would be great to kind of break down some of the key similarities, key differences among these ETFs that are in existence already now. Um, are there any that stand out that are strongly representing, quote unquote, true metaverse alpha? And are there potentially some that just look like they're trying to ride the hype cycle, but you can see some flavors of BS? So for any ETFs, I'd always advise investors that you really need to look under the hood and see what index they use and what methodology is. So for instance, the Roundhill Ball ETF has a custom ball metaverse index, which is comprised of an expert council, which maps and weighs companies into seven different categories. So for instance, they factor in computing power, the power that's used to support the metaverse, virtual platforms, payment, networking, interchange standards, which are tools, protocol service used for operating the metaverse hardware and content. While those in Korea, for instance, have a range of companies in the tech space, from cell phone part providers to computer games to newspaper companies that also manufacture fur and leather garments, J Content Tree Corp. So for any ETFs, due diligence is crucial, as not only do you want to know what the index tracks, but also what the replication method is, fees, and you really need to look at the total cost of ownership and not just the name. And so what I get is oftentimes I have ETF issuers coming to me, they're like, oh, you're writing about the metaverse, can you include my ETFs? And their ETFs can be anything in the tech space from artificial intelligence to cybersecurity to video games. And so when investors ask, you know, what should I invest in? You really need to do your due diligence because there are more than 10,000 ETFs out there globally. And just because it says metaverse, it may not truly be a metaverse ETF. And so I think, you know, Matthew's done a really good job at defining of what the metaverse index should be. And Bloomberg has an index on this. And so you really need to do your due diligence of seeing what the product really is before you buy it. 
Shout out to the Bloomberg Metaverse Index for Bloomberg professional subscribers. That's B Meta Index on your terminal. Uh, thanks, Rebecca. Full marketing pitch. Uh, you know, we're going all in on the marketing pitch on this episode, but it's you know this is what happens when you get you know two of our colleagues together on here. We, we have to support the products that we're building. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about it. I mean, I'm ha- I'm happy to. I mean, so you know, our index, which we are, if you are an ETF, you know, uh, issuer and you're interested in licensing, feel free to reach out to me or Rebecca or anyone on our index product team. But you know, we we built a basket of companies that we really think are you know driving and 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 really the key enablers and key drivers of building the metaverse because we do have this long term vision of what it is, and so that really fuels our vision for creating a basket of companies that are the most leveraged to that investment cycle, and then. Out of that, our index team has taken that and created the Bloomberg Metaverse Index, which is, you know, already available. And, you know, obviously our whole index team, you know, we're open to both, you know, just the vanilla plain option and also, you know, customizable options. So you can definitely reach out to us and, you know, we can work with you on that. But it, it is a really cool product that we have. And so I, I think, um, you know, one other thing, and you mentioned it before that I that I wanted to dive into, you know, you mentioned it in regards to the, to the uh, Round Hill Ball Metaverse ETF was the fees. And you know, they started out, I believe, at 75 basis points, and they cut that by about a third recently. When we, when we look at the broader ETF landscape, and I, I know this was more of a passive phenomenon, but there was like a race to zero, right? It, you know, it very quickly became a race to zero in the passive world. When you look at active and you look at metaverse, does them cutting their fees give you caution for, you know, the ETF issuers in terms of, okay, everyone's getting in the pool, fidelity, every, everyone's jumping in. Are we concerned that some of these more, you know, niche issuers are going to start to see fee pressure? I think if we look at the 14 metaverse ETFs that we have that currently have metaverse as part of their definition, the median expense ratio across 14 ETF is currently 52 basis points. And so that's really considered high by U.S. standards. The cheapest is currently at 15 basis points by Evolve in Canada. And the most expensive is at 1% by Fubon Selective in Taiwan. So there's definitely room to move on the fees. But an interesting thing to note is that in Asia, the fees generally don't matter much. And the fees are usually much higher than they are in the US because in Asia, you need to pay retrocession fees and rebates to the issuers. So there's a distribution channel and people pay some fees. While in the US, the fees have come down because you don't pay this retrocession fees and rebates. In the US, everyone has their own distribution channels. And so I don't think that the fees matters as much for Asian investors. And so it really depends on where the ETF is listed because this is now a global product. The investors in Asia, for instance, don't really look at fees. They look at more of the branding. What is the product? Am I interested in this? While in the US, you have a lot more options. And so if we look at the ETFs globally, the US market usually accounts for 60 to 70% of the market share in terms of assets under management. So Asia Pacific is only 10% of the total market share. And so for Asian investors, what they consider is going to be very different to what investors in Europe consider to US. And so I think as a product issuer, when you're looking to launch products, you need to see, you know, who are you targeting and what is the method that you want to use because each region is so different. And so I do think fees will come down, but in certain regions, like for instance, Hong Kong, a lot of the ETFs average fee is 90 basis points and they're super successful and they don't have to reduce their fees. While if you had the same product in the US, that would not be a successful product because of the competition. It would drive the fee down to less, you know, 
it can even be zero basis points. So if we look at the US, for instance, Fidelity wanted to get into the market. And so they launched ETFs that had zero management fees simply because they wanted to get assets. And so I definitely think fees will come down, but it depends on the region and the product that they're launching. With so much momentum in 2022, Rebecca, you know, we have, of course, Meta, Facebook just getting the ticker Meta, the Meta, or and now MV, MVR, the previous Meta ETF of the Metaverse Ball Index is now continuing to grow. More ETFs are coming. You talked about Fidelity coming out. You know, we have the Bloomberg Index, which will likely bring more ETFs uh, that are based on the index. What is the kind of key highlights that you project for 2022 when it comes to when it comes to Metaverse ETF? Who are the players that you think are going to shape the year? And then more broadly, how do you think the wider economic landscape and the decline, the decrease of the of tech stocks over the last month and a half will shape the conversation for the for the remainder of the year? So I think from a product perspective, we're currently at 14 pure metaverse ETFs at 2.2 billion in assets under management. So by year end, I could easily see this being double that. So more than 30 pure ETF metaverse ETFs, more than 5 billion in assets. And I think we're going to start seeing more interesting products. So for instance, leverage and inverse metaverse ETFs coming out. We can also expect other sectors to merge. So for instance, social media, gaming, e-commerce, a lot of these ETFs are considered rebranding themselves to a metaverse ETFs. There's already talks amongst some video games ETF issuers that are like, oh, you know, instead of calling it the e-game ETF, we can call it the metaverse ETF, So, for instance. And so I think we're going to definitely see this asset grow and more products being launched. And I think we mentioned this in the beginning, when we look at metaverse, you know, it's not just one trend, it's a it's a combination of a shared virtual space of e-commerce, video games, social media. And I think ETFs is going to replicate that. And so you could potentially see synergies amongst the ETFs. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting point you mentioned. You know, I've been I've been talking a few times and about about this with with you know uh, with, with different people and you know, back in the 2000, if you if you started a technology company, you were an internet company, right? And and then it was like, if you started a company in the mid in the mid 2000, you're you know you're a mobile company. I think now, I think we're going to move into a trend where a lot of companies are just going to start calling themselves a metaverse company. I mean, as super social, I have defined super social for the last 20 months since we started as a metaverse company, and I think as many more companies refer to themselves as a metaverse company, I think we're going to see, at least this is kind of my projection, is that we might start seeing so many ETFs, as you said, not only launching as a metaverse ETF, but retrofitting themselves as a metaverse ETF because the what it is included in metaverse, quote unquote, technologies, products, services, is likely going to grow beyond consumer to industrial applications, to enterprise application. Uh, obviously, we had a fantastic conversation recently, which will go live soon with, you know, the VP of Omniverse and Simulation at NVIDIA. We know that the metaverse is so much bigger than just a bunch of NFTs and, and games on, on Roblox. We're talking about a, a across-the-board shift and paradigm shift of the world of technology and what it means to build these next-generation applications. And and so I, I, I think what you're saying is is totally realistic from a non-ETF expert point of view. Uh, I would be, I would be personally surprised if by the end of 2022 we will not have double the amount of ETFs available in the market and double 
the value of assets under management. Matthew, what do you think? I think everything you just said, I was going to jump in and mention, you know, Rev from NVIDIA. So I'm, I'm glad you did because I was thinking the same exact thing, you know, because Rebecca hit it on the head, right? We're seeing the metaverse emerge out of the gaming sector now. And, you know, this is what Mark Petit was saying, right? When we spoke with him early on in the podcast is that, you know, if real-time 3D is kind of the one of the core technologies, gaming companies have the most experience in using it. And so clearly it makes sense that the metaverse is emerging out of the gaming sector. But then going forward, you know, as it permeates into other sectors, we're going to see this take off in ways that we can't even imagine. I mean, and this is what Rev was getting at. It's like, if you would have asked someone to look, you know, to if you would have showed them Instagram 20 years ago, they would have said, what the heck is this thing? Like, I could never imagine this ever being a thing. And, and, and so when we look ahead and we look at where this can go, you know, the possibilities are pretty much endless, how we can revolutionize. You mentioned e-commerce, industrials, you know, every, every single aspect of the economy and this is what Matt Ball was kind of alluding to. He did a great Bloomberg TV interview and was quoting Jensen Huang from NVIDIA and was basically saying, you know, even as big as the internet is today, the digital economy is still only a slice of the global GDP. The metaverse can be that next step to really bring the things that are still brick and mortar and the things that are still physical goods into the digital world and increase the digital share of global GDP, which is north of 80 trillion, possibly 90 trillion dollars now. And so, you know, clearly the opportunities get insanely large as you start to realize all the different applications of these technologies. Here is a food for thought for us, right? Matthew, you, you've done a great job last year in on Bloomberg on kind of laying out the, the, the potential total addressable market for the metaverse over the next several years. And I think it was something around 800 billion dollar of, of market size, right? I think about market size and total addressable market slightly differently. And, you know, we can then figure out afterwards, how do we put an, an economic value? But we have about roughly 8 billion people around the world. Let's assume the metaverse is going to be something that you access with an internet connection and a pretty powerful uh, consumer device, right? In some countries, it's going to be a mobile phone, PC, game console, autonomous vehicle, <laughs> spaceship, who knows, right? So let's assume there's almost 8 billion, 8 billion people around the world. Let's assume the metaverse over the next half a decade, a decade is going to have five, six billion people accessing metaverse experiences and metaverse applications. Here's the beautiful thing. When we think about the metaverse, because we're going to, to a large extent, experience the metaverse as an avatar, we are not only going to have one avatar, right? As Jonathan, I'm going to have, I'm already planning, I'm designing my identities every day. I'm going to have multiple identities. I might have five to 10 different avatars that live and exist and interact in the metaverse. And so when I think about total addressable market from number of users, I think the metaverse could potentially have more than 100 billion personalities that live, interact, engage, consume in the metaverse. And we're gonna, I'm going to want to take care of my avatars. I'm going to want to give them appearances. I'm going to want to send them to learn, to, to play, to, to concerts in, in the metaverse, to play sports. And when you think about that in this way, and let's assume we do have a metaverse with more than 100 billion constituents or, or users, the metaverse could likely be at a size of an economy that is in the trillions. I don't think that's so crazy to assume if you subscribe to the worldview that as humans, we are going to live in the metaverse, not just as real people, but also with multiple identities that are manifested as avatars. I, I love that. I love that idea. And, you know, to tie it back, you know, those 100 billion may all need to invest in ETFs. So <laughs> <laughs> maybe we're going to have avatars that invest day, in ETFs. 
food for thought for another day, but what does what do ETFs look like in the metaverse? <laughs> uh, no, but th- this this has been a fantastic conversation. Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us on this rainy, cloudy, gross, cold morning in Hong Kong. And any last thoughts? I definitely say your comment, Jonas, of having multiple avatar really shows that the metaverse has endless possibilities. And like everyone before on this podcast has said, you know, we don't really know what the end goal or what it will look like in five to 10 years. And so there's definitely a lot of room for growth with so many options. And I think as we look at that space and as we look at what ETF issuers are doing, everyone's still trying to figure out, you know, what is the metaverse and how do we get into it? And a lot of ETF issuers are you know, using their own custom index. So Fidelity is launching their own Fidelity Metaverse Index. And so there's definitely a lot of room for for growth, but there's also a lot of room for synergies, um, potential mergers, you know, combining ETFs. And so it's definitely very interesting to see what can happen because I can see certain ETF issuers that have very niche products um, combining, say, their video game and their e-commerce ETFs into one and just calling it metaverse so that the assets grow even faster. And if that happens, then, you know, we can very easily reach 80 billion by 2024. So thank you very much for having me. This is a great point. Uh, You're welcome. It's been great to have you here. But this is a great point because here is another thought, right? Like, uh, it wouldn't be crazy to assume that there might be consumer brands that will rapidly adopt metaverse as a frontier they want to operate in. And if they do it and they do it extensively, for example, a company like Nike that has acquired an NFT studio named Artifact, it wouldn't be crazy to assume that some brand, consumer brands, companies could actually be part of metaverse of metaverse ETFs. I don't think that's far-fetched concept over the next, you know, even 18 to 24 months. That would also increase what is a metaverse ETF could actually include. It goes beyond technology. If everything is technology and every company is essentially a technology company, and every and if the metaverse is the next big era of, of technologies, then a lot of other companies that today are not part of metaverse ETFs could actually be part of ETFs and ETFs. And then you may have all sorts of subsets of ETFs that are popping up. I think that brings an interesting point. Like the metaverse is not really defined yet. So for instance, hypothetically, if we start involving cryptos and N- NFTs and blockchain technology into it, for instance, in the US, the crypto is having difficulties at the moment trying to approval for a physical Bitcoin ETF. But what if crypto falls under metaverse, then it might be under a different classification. And so it really can grow to endless possibilities. The possibilities are endless in the metaverse. With that, I I think we'll wrap up. Thank you so much, Rebecca and everyone. Thanks for listening.